This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Praise God. It's good to see every one of you this morning. Um, well, it's, your, it's yourself you are doing a favor by coming to church. But I'll still say thank you for coming to church. Hallelujah. Abby? Thank you for doing yourself good. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, so we have an interesting topic this morning, and I'm going to be taking it for the next couple of weeks. Laying up gold as dust. Hallelujah. Laying up gold as dust. And it's going to take a couple of weeks. It's going to take a couple of weeks. And this topic will also likely link into the first book I will ever write. Amen. No, sorry, the first... Um, Christian education book, theological book, I'll write, amen. Because when I was in school, I wrote two novels. They are still in my laptop. I, 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 you, you probably never see it. <laughs> Praise God. And this topic is an important one because it just dawned on me recently that I've not talked about money issues, I've not talked about finances since um, 2021. When we stayed in the houses, we, since we started officially, I've noticed when we're still fellowshipping and all that, that I talked about um, how to conduct yourself in Sapavi. Praise God. And that was not really expository on the topic. And in our context, you know the way the body of Christ is, right? There are always waves of doctrine that make people unstable, that have effects on people's lives. And the job of the church is to always respond to these things and bring every knowledge down in captivity to the knowledge of Christ. Do you understand? There are always thoughts and there are always imaginations that like to try to, that try to exalt themselves against the knowledge of Christ. And the job of the church is to recognize them and to bring them down. So these teachings are not necessarily reactionary in the strict sense of as if we don't, as if the church does not have a what they call it, a mission of its own. Actually, part of the mission is to make sure that when funny ideas are going around, that we bring them down in subjection to the knowledge of Christ. Hallelujah. And I've, I've, over time, I've gained a, a little bit of notoriety, not because I in, intended to, not because <clears throat> I actually deliberate to set out, set out myself to be notorious for certain things. In fact, I never imagined that I'll be here because of the kind of background that I have. My father is in church today. Hallelujah. So I'm very sure that if there's any straight bullets, you know, <laughs> all right, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> so my dad is also in church today. So, um, you know, I never thought that I'll be in this position, and I never thought I'll be in this position, you know, that ha- having to set a lot of things right in terms of this stuff. But, you know, as the Lord will have it, <clears throat> it is happening. And notoriety that I, I, you know, I become notorious because of, you know, the way it is, you know, I talked about it in social media in text form. But, you know, it's important that, let, let's see something, Second John chapter 12. Second John verse 12, rather. Apostle John speaking to um, the elder says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. He repeats the same idea in Third John um, verse 13, 13 and 14. You can write it down so that you can check it. You know, he repeats the same idea that there is a measure of seeing someone face to face that completes your joy. So, you know, all the things that have been said in tweets, on Instagram, and on, in text format, you know, they hold 
the possibility of being um, misunderstood, even though I don't see why they should be misunderstood, but you know, people can make excuses for misunderstanding what is being texted, what is being written down. As well as why it's important that we say this thing face to face and look at the scriptures thoroughly. Because even on social media, you cannot really go into the scriptures. You can't do exposition on social media. You can't. All you can do is um, make bite-sized information based on, what you, based on what you've already understood. And what you're doing is that, and this is part of the issues that I've always had with people, so to speak, not the, the issues that I've had with people because it's kind of maybe my own fault, so to speak, in that I, I, many times I put so much pressure on people to understand what, ha- what it has taken me years to meditate on and to grow away from. Do you understand? understand? What, grow into. What has taken me years to grow into, what I have taken years to understand by experience and by studying God's word diligently over time. Sometimes saying it to people where, from where they are, it can be a bit shocking to them and they can re- react, you know, like that. And so that's why it's important that, you know, some things are taught and explained properly. And this topic in particular is very important for us to clarify. Because I am not exaggerating when I say that in itself, the topic or the issue of how Christians should respond to material things, how Christians should respond to wealth, and how Christians should respond to poverty and material things and all that, is very important. Because it's one thing that causes a lot of shipwreck of faith. It's one thing that can actually get believers to not be in the center of God's plan for their lives is something that can lead to idolatry. You know, so that's what I want to do in this series. You know, that's what I want to do in this series. What I want to do in this series is to talk about the Christian attitude towards money, laying up gold as dust. And I'm going to use a, a you know, a, a, I'm going to, we're going to look into a, a popular scripture and we're going to do an exposition and it's going to take a couple of weeks. Hallelujah. Church, I together. And we're going to look at everything from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the entire corpus of Christian knowledge. And then we're going to actually also look at the reaction of the church and church fathers through history and what they have said at different times about this matter so that we can have a holistic thing. So that when I'm talking and I'm saying something strongly, you understand where it is coming from. Because if you've not gone through that course, if you don't see it like that, some statements will sound very strong to you. But they're not actually strong when you look at everything from God's word. Church, out together. And it's very, very important because it will also stabilize you. Because if you don't have that full breadth and depth of understanding of the, of the subject matter, when different circumstances in life come, and what you just have are bite-sized motivational statements or bite-sized statements of piety, they will not be enough to stand, ground you and hold you. What holds people is when your heart has cooked. That's not what I'm saying, right? When your heart has cooked, when your heart is properly marinated in the source of God's will. Of God's will. When your mind fully understands the kind of knowledge that Apostle Paul was praying for the churches. That kind of knowledge where your heart is fully appropriates the matter and you understand it properly, you will discover that when that thing, when that happens to you, you'll be able to stand and you know, you'll be able to be, you'll be stable no matter the issue. Hallelujah. And it's important to address this topic. It's important to address this topic for two reasons. Is that there are two directions in which the misunderstanding of this topic can go. 
and both directions ultimately end in two things. Number one, it can rob Christians or believers of, or humanity itself of working, in the, of working in the purpose of God for them, making them ineffective in working in the plan, plan and purpose for them. The second thing is that it can, it can cause needless suffering from both directions, and I'll explain why. It can cause needless suffering in terms of, you know, in terms of talking about God's preferred will. There is some suffering that is needless. That means there is certain suffering that does not bring the glory of God. There is legitimate suffering for the glory of God. I hope you know. Don't worry. If you don't know, we'll get there. There is legitimate suffering for the glory of God. But there is suffering that does not bring about the glory of God that God will permit and allow because people are not doing what they are meant to do. And the two ways that you can arrive at those two issues, at those two problems, where people are not working the purpose of God for their life, that means that God wants them to be doing something and they are not doing it or they are suffering needlessly. The first direction is in the terms of destitution. That means when Christians, the, the two ways that misunderstand the scripture of this idea and thoughts can go is that there's one excess whereby people shrink back from the provision of possessions. When God provides possessions for us, when God divinely provides and I'm trying my best not to start polemically so that I don't put anybody off. You understand what I'm saying? Because I'm talking now, so things are coming to my mind that is just vexing me. You understand? <laughs> but I'm trying my best not to talk polemically. I'm trying to talk as straight as possible so that people can really understand everything. Because by the time you understand it well, you will see that we have good reason, just like the apostles, just like the prophets, and just like even the early church fathers, to be angry with the love of money. We have good reasons. It's more dangerous than you think. But... Let's go calmly, without fight, so that we'll hold each other's hands and we'll get there together, all right? Mm -hmm. The first way that the misunderstanding of you know, God's will on material stuff, materialism, fame, this material world, well, it's not just about money, right? Fame is another thing. That's another thing that we don't talk about. Fame and popularity, likes and retweets and everybody knowing you. The first side is that you can shrink back from what God has provided. You can overdo, in quotes. You know, you can, you can shrink back from what God has provided. And, one it will, and what it will do is that the possessions that God provides for you to be able to do the will of God will not be available to you to do what God wants you to do. So that objectively, all the things that you are meant to do, you will not be able to do it. So people can shrink back from God's blessings because they tell them that money is bad. Money is evil. Do you understand? Being known is evil. And all those kinds of things, right? That has happened in some times in church history, but not as much as the other side. That has happened sometimes, in the church, you know, where people don't take advantage of God's blessings, where God provides, and people don't take advantage of it because they think that money itself is bad, because they think money itself is evil. And so the way, it do, do, the way that happens is that when God provides possessions for you to do the will of God, you shrink back for it and, from it and you're not able to do what you want to do. The second way that it leads to problem is that it can actually cause needless suffering, whereby there are some suffering that does not bring the glory of God, that because you have shrinked back from God's blessings, you're not able to enjoy them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Church, do you understand what I'm saying? So there's a misunderstanding to one side. And this misunderstanding that might have happened in the past, in the past has been misrepresented. Has been misrepresented and exaggerated. It has been misrepresented and exaggerated. And I should say something at this point, that not all extremes are equal. But let me keep that 
you understand we'll say it later you understand the reason why not all extremes are what equal but it's not as if that because of that we'll not be looking for extreme you understand what i'm saying here so <laughs> so this issue might have happened sometime in the past but it has it you know it has been misrepresented and exaggerated nonetheless it is a real and plausible scenario it is a real and plausible danger that believers can be in which let me not get ahead of myself it's a real and plausible danger that believers can be in whereby people will suffer needlessly and people will not be able to do what god wants them to do it's a real and possible danger the other end of it the other danger of it is where people become grasping and avaricious and over embrace the things of this world because they don't want to suffer needlessly because they are afraid of suffering needlessly and because in quotes they want to do the will of god in quotes and we now find ourselves in a place of greed and avarice and covetousness and then all kinds of evils flow from that. Now, you know, the evils of that one is that you are held back and able to do what you want to do. You are suffering needlessly and all that. But, you know, the, the other side is even much, much, the, the number of things that come out of it is very, very serious. Like a couple of things just come at the top of my mind. One of the things that can come is that it causes needless suffering to people by, you know, when people begin to appropriate and embrace money inordinately. The things of this world inordinately right if people don't have the right sense of how to understand material things and they go to the other side one of the things that it does is that it has it is counterproductive in the sense that it leads people to become lazier and incompetent yes it does because what happens is that when people's minds are cleaved to material things and the object in their mind is material things Many times, the things are the foundation and are the structure of society that take that that you build gradually to bring um, what they call it sustainable and long-lasting um, prosperity. Things that you build from foundation that can bring good, long-lasting prosperity, they will not have the patience for it. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Many times, the things that build long-lasting prosperity, they take time and effort and sweat and labor. If your mind is cleaved to material things, materialism, and if you are a greedy person, you will not have the patience to build something sustainably from the ground. If you are going to church and they keep telling you, the will of God for you is to be rich. You must lend to nations. You are not poor. You will never be a mechanic. You will be a baller in the name of Jesus. And those kind of things that we used to say. A boy that has primary school education or secondary school education in that gathering or a girl or a group of people who are the majority in our, in our society who are hearing those kinds of things will come out and look at the organizer on the road, look at the mechanic, look at the carpenter who are not bowling like those driving jeeps and they will tell themselves the jeep is the will of God for me, carpenter is not the will of God for me then they will be looking for the things that can give them jeep no matter what revelation, no matter what you tell them about the dignity of labor, because the dignity of labor actually many times, in fact, majority of times, requires a level of poverty for a time. I'm going to define the terms as we go on. Requires a level of poverty for a while. But the patience to be able to go throughout because you have rejected that state as not being the will of God, you will never be able to do it. 
if poverty is not the will of God, then the organizer is not in the will of God. Do you understand that? Then the mechanic is not in the will of God. Then the house cleaner is not in the will of God. Therefore, I will not do that work. I will wait until I see a work that will make me a bowler. But it doesn't work like that. So that is why in a society where these things are preached the way they are, ultimately over time, you see a massive critical mass of people in the society that are highly incompetent. You begin to see like what is happening in my hometown, in my mother's hometown, where you have a critical mass of young boys that only want to do drive Okada or kidnapping or 419 and yahoo yahoo. Nobody wants to apprentice to be organizer again. Nobody wants to apprentice to be mechanic. No girl wants to apprentice, I'm talking about the gender stereotype, don't be angry, just take it like that, right? No girl wants to apprentice to, to, to do salon work and learn here dressing again because they want to be what? Bolas. Poverty is not the will of God. Do you understand that? So because that society is now not doing the things that actually make a society productive, in the long term, the society now becomes poorer. Do you understand what's happening there? That's why the Protestant ethic, where people started by being poor, look at the Huguenots in France, for example. The Huguenots were the Protestants in France. The France was Catholic. They were talking about 17th century story now, 16th, 17th century. The Huguenots were the Protestants, were the Calvinists in France. And they had the Protestant work ethic. And the Catholics were persecuting them, yet they were still the richest. They ran out of France and built some of the biggest companies that we know, 100, 500 year old companies, the Protestants. Do you understand that? So the thing that actually makes a society productive actually requires times of suffering that long term has added benefits. But if you have the wrong understanding of this matter, you can actually truncate that. So that's why the, the country that um, the prosperity gospel is the loudest um, stream of preaching is also the capital, world capital of the um, poverty capital of the world. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? <laughs> The country with the biggest and the richest pastors, the highest number of churches, the most influential churches in Africa, is also the most corrupt country in Africa. That's how it happens. Another thing that it does is that it, it kills your ability to delay gratification. So that's why you do things like, the will of God for me is to, is to be big, is to be large. So you go and borrow money to do things because that is the will of God for me. You go and borrow money to live a certain lifestyle because the will of God for me is not to be poor. I cannot be broke in Jesus' name. Ah, I will never be poor. And you are saying that to God's people. You are saying that to God's people. So the ability to delay gratification is, is lost. And then over time, what will not happen is that you now see people putting themselves in all kinds of trouble. Because you cannot delay gratification, you cannot build something. Over time, you will now go and borrow money, try to live a lifestyle that you cannot have. Then your debtors and your creditors start chasing you. And then you start naming and proclaiming and confessing that God will provide all my needs and he will help me to pay my debts. Debts that you should have never been in if you were thinking like a Christian. Over time, obviously, it leads to needless suffering because over time, the accumulation of all these behaviors is that it leads to more poverty for the large number of people. So that's why, by the time you see a society where there's a clergy class who are rich by being univocational clergy, if you see a society where you have a clergy class that is rich by being univocational, that means the pastors don't work and they are the richest people, but the people that work, the society are very poor. You know there's something wrong. Because actually what the Bible teaches is that if you do not work, you should not eat. So that means... Ah, 
getting ahead of myself. But let me just say it and understand. That means over time that the correlation between comfort and material comfort should be work and material comfort. That's a scriptural balance. Where you now see a lot of no work with comfort, you know there's a problem. That is why that kind of society also correlates with a society where many young boys don't have work but they're driving big cars. Do you understand that? By the time a society creates a critical mass of people thinking that, or by critical mass I mean a, a good number of that society of people cannot see the correlation in their minds between working and profit. Their minds does not see the connection. That connection is broken. They think of money without the work that must build it. They don't see the two as necessarily locked together. A society where the young people don't see work and prosperity as necessarily locked together. A society where people think of rich, they don't think first what is the work that he's doing or they cannot see the work that he's doing but they are just used to the idea of my pastor has debts. Which work is he doing? He's only preaching. When that happens in a society over time, you're going to have a lot of people that begin to expect riches without working. When a society expects riches without working, what would they turn to? What would they turn to? Do you understand what's going on here? So do you see why it makes sense? Why do our Nigeria is? Do you understand why Nigeria is the way it is? Ultimately, what that also does is that it makes idolatry out of material things. Because if the essence of all things is money, then God will be considered a tool to help us get money. So we're not really worshipping God. We're only worshipping God, worshiping God to the measure that he can provide things for us. And the moment God cannot provide things for us, we'll have a crisis of faith. Or the moment we get to a place where we don't need God to provide for us, we'll also have a crisis of faith. You understand that? So that's why you can now gather a critical mass of people in such a context. And spiritually, we can tell, we can say that many of them are not really saved. This is the other danger of it. You can gather a lot of people that did not believe that Jesus died and rose again for their sins so that they can be reconciled to God. What they believe is that Jesus died so they can have money. So they don't know God. Do you understand that? It leads to the idolatry of money. Another thing that it does is that it leads to the dehumanizing of the poor. It leads to the dehumanizing of poor people. So in such a society, people who are poor are considered less and inferior. I was together at church. In such a society, in such a place, people who are poor will be considered less and inferior to other people who are rich. So, and because human beings are, are, are created to maximize the value of their lives, they will definitely always make decisions in the line of what will mean that they have intrinsic value. Do you understand that? So people, and that is the reason why even spoken subtly and overtly, in spoken ways and in unspoken ways, such a society will encourage the young people, will encourage the ladies to prioritize a man's wealth over any other value system that he has. So they are looking for subconsciously, even if you don't say it, subconsciously they can tell that the good men are the men that are rich, no matter what they do. If either they beat you, whether they kill you, just go back to one and live with him because he will provide for you. And the guys are also told, Kinshati Lowo, no matter what you do in this life, don't be poor. As you know, as I'm saying this thing, you can think of many Nigerian songs that sound like this. In this life, let's just be rich. In this life, let's just be rich. In this life, let's just be rich. Those kind of statements. And so the poor become dehumanized 
and because the, door, the, the, the poor becomes dehumanized over time, poor people are maltreated and it leads to suffering that is needless. Poor people are dehumanized. The society is set up in such a way, you know, we set up society in such a way that if you are poor, you cannot get ahead. If you are poor, things are going to be unnecessarily hard for you. If you are poor, there will be no justice for you. If a rich, people, if a rich person commits crime, you will escape because he has money. Kinshati Lowo. If there's anything you want in this life, just make sure you have money. That's where it comes from. So there will be rank injustice in such a society. Crazy injustice. Crazy injustice in such a society. Do you guys understand why all these things are happening? So, this is the reason why you know, our nation can be such a paradox. The richest, most influential Christians in Africa also are living in the same country where 89% of persecuted people are in the same country. Do you understand that now? That's why it looks like a paradox. The same country where we have the richest, most influential Christians, the Christians in Nigeria have the things that Muslims have not put together as a religion. They might have it as individuals, but when we talk about organized religion, the Christians in this country have things that other religions can, have not put together, they might never be able to put together. We have entire cities built in our organizations. We have untold riches. We have untold power. No president in this country can dare now, can dare in this country, try to become president by slighting us. There are not many countries in the world or in human history that Christianity can boast of that kind of thing. No pre- nobody can want to be president or governor in any state in this country, apart from the Muslim majority states, right? That they want to become anything and they will slight the church. They're not born you well. They know, Agbarawa, you must go to redemption camp. You must go to Kinaland. You must go to an You must go and kiss the ring because we have power. You have to. Because all we have to do is to preach a subtle message and just say, this person, we don't want. That's all. We know we have power. We know. And yet, in the same country, it is the most corrupt African country. <laughs> it is the same country. That's how it is possible. So, we must understand properly what the scripture teaches on how we should act with respect to money. We must understand this properly. So we will take our time. Today is just introduction, right? We're going to go take, we're going to take our time. We must know how to act properly. Part of the things I'm going to achieve today is to also define the terms. Because one of the problems with this conversation is that the terms are nebulous. I'm sorry. It means they are not clear. The, the, the terms can be misunderstood and everybody can come to the words based on, I'm sorry, can come to the words based on their own background. So we need to be clear on the terms. What does it mean to be poor? What does it mean to be We're going to define it properly and clearly so that when I'm speaking throughout this series and I use any of those words, you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Because what we keep saying is that, you know, we'll, say, we'll make some statements and say, there was no place in the Bible where God, where the Bible says that it is the will of the Christians to be rich. And I say, what do you mean by that? Do you, do you want, are you saying that it's the will of God for Christians to be poor? Can you call, can you call? You understand what I'm saying now? You understand? You don't scatter the statements. So you are saying something, the person is saying something else. You are saying something, the person is saying something else. Because the terms mean different things to different people. Sometimes when, when, when someone is talking about poor, 
what someone is hearing is destitute. What someone is hearing is something else. So we're going to define the terms very clearly so that when I am using the words as we go on, you can know exactly what I mean and not misunderstand it and strong man what is being said. Is that understood? Church, do we understand that? Now, what does it mean to be poor? According to Oxford Dictionary, we're going to use the way the owners of the language defined it. The definition of what it means to be poor, I write it down and I want you to keep it in your mind so that you don't forget. What does it mean to be poor? It means to have an inferior or lower standard of living. To be poor in English means to have an inferior or lower standard of living. You can see that even the way the world uses the word safe, it t- tells you how the world thinks about these things. Let's just go on. Let me not get ahead of myself. To you, to have an inferior or lower standard of what? Living. And what does that mean? You can see that the word inferior and the word lower already communicate something to us that it is what? Relative. It's not an objective thing. So it is lower compared to someone. Inferior compared to someone. So the word poor is not an objective word. The word poor is a relative word. That means it is always in comparison to someone. Do you understand that? The word poor is always in comparison to someone. There is no objective definition for poverty, you know, so to speak. Even by WHO standards. In WHO, you tell people that, um, you know, they will say that it means to live on less than $2 a day. That's because relative to developed world, to the developed world, living on less than $2 a day is a what? Is poverty. But guess what? Someone who is living by today's standards of $2 per day, that is $1,400. If you are eating 1,400 naira food every day in Nigeria, you are not poor. One, even if you want to say you are poor, because people are Lagos people, you are middle class people, you think you are a, Let us compare it to people living in certain places in the village. If you go to my village and you are living, eating 1,400 naira food every day, that is my line, 1,400 naira food every day, they will even be looking at you that you are greedy. Ah, only you. Because a full meal for a man is 400 naira, 300 naira. Why will you eat 1,400 naira of food? And that is even in our context. If you compare it to 200 years ago, 300 years ago, you are living larger. Those examples are too abstract. Let me use real examples. All right, let me use real examples. Many times when people say you are poor in Nigeria, if you say someone is poor in the United States or you say someone is poor in the UK, the person is living in the projects. The person is living on welfare, government housing and all that. So the government is giving the person like 1,400 pounds per month. Government provides house for the person. There's 24 hours light. This is a poor person. He's living in the projects. Government gives him house. Government is feeding him. They are giving him 1,400 pounds or something like that every month. Do you understand that? He has water. He has free health care. He has free health care. So he has food, shelter, free health care. He has everything that he needs. But in that country, they'll say the people are too poor. We need to change our social policies so that people don't have to live in this kind of environment. Now, you that you're a Nigerian, if someone has 24 hours light, 24 hours internet, or hospital, no matter what sickness he has, he goes to hospital, they take care of him. He has 1,400 pounds every month. How much is your salary? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? 
let me tell you, let me give you another real example. Growing up, after the religious crisis that my, that, that my family suffered in the North, you know, they lost, in the, when, when they were living in the North, my parents were comfortable. They had a thriving business and they were comfortable. They were able to build a house in the North, you know, that's that build compound house, buy cars and all those kind of things. But in the programs, they had to leave everything and abandon everything and, and run away from the North because their life was in danger. They were going to kill everybody and all that. And so we lost everything. Over time, we became very bad. And then there were times where objectively in the house, there were a few times we're objectively in the house, you're looking for 100 naira, 200 naira to eat because at that time you've sold the chickens, there's no income coming to the house, so there's actually no food in the house. You know, there are times when my mom will make soup and tell my sister to go and hawk it, and you know, we'll sell pure water, we we'll sell fish, all those kinds of things. So, I went to a, I went to um, a, 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 a moderately expensive secondary school because my parents did all that, they made all those sacrifices to send me to the secondary school. Now, in my secondary school, I knew that by my classmate standard, I was poor. Do you understand that? So I understood poverty by their standards. All of everybody on visiting day, they know what it means to bring Kellogg's Frosties. The first time I saw Frosties in my life was in school. You understand? If I don't understand all those things, you know, Kellogg's Frosties and all those kind of things, they'll bring plenty of things. When my parents are coming, they come with garlic and sugar and yam and the things that are grown from the soil. Hallelujah. <laughs> and it's not even all the visiting days they could come. And when they come, they wrap plenty of uh, muri and um, uh, plenty muri and um, wasu together, you know, that kind of thing. And then you see friends that and all that. So I knew I was poor. But guess what? When we went back home to my mom's hometown, where we lived, among the poor people, we were considered better. At least you still have one car that you have been using for 20 years. That even though the car is working like this, some people don't even have car. It's a car that they are driving. And people objectively saw that, no, those people, they are okay. We are not okay. In our school, they used to abuse me that we don't have money. So poverty in Lagos is not poverty in Iwo. There are people right now whose monthly rent is 1,000 Naira in my hometown. Monthly rent. 1,000 Naira. And by their, their standards, they can pay rent. People look at them as, I'm not bad now, we're doing okay. But to you, what's that? I will never be poor. Abby? <laughs> so poverty is strictly a relative statement. There's nobody that has, or that is objectively poor by human standards. There's nobody. There's nobody. And there's nobody that is also objectively rich. Rich means to have a great deal of what assets. So by the same measure, rich is a purely relative statement. Today we'll say Elon Musk is rich. How can you not say he's not rich? Let me give you a theoretical situation. If, if you guys watch sci-fi movies, if we had a confederation of planets like in Star Trek, whereby there are many planets that all have high science and technology. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you guys watch Star Trek? You don't. I don't know how to help you. Just try and imagine a sci-fi situation where it is with the the place where sentience, where human beings is not only on this planet and there are many planets in many galaxies and we're just like different countries but it's different worlds. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know? Do you know that based on if you just there are some countries that can be so rich that they will have technology like teleporting, they can print their food, they can fly, they can do interstellar travel and all those kinds of things and those kind of worlds and those kind of planets will consider our current planet and people like Elon Musk very poor. Sure you know that. They look at what kind of technology you have internet in our country. We don't have all that. We have holograms. We don't do phones. 
Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? For you to say the word rich and poor is just a matter of creating a picture of a situation where someone has more. So, relative to God, is Elon Musk rich? Is he? So, being poor and being rich are relative statements. They are always in comparison to someone. Hallelujah. However, there are, some, there are two words I always want, also want to talk about. There's something called destitution. And destitution is the objective situation of not having food, clothing, and shelter. It doesn't matter your social context. If a person does not have food, clothing, and shelter, you don't have food to eat, you don't have clothes to wear, you don't have where to live, that is destitution. That is an objective state of affairs. Hallelujah. Church, I'm together. See, first of all, let's talk about, let me round off on the issue of, of, of what it means to be poor. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15, look at verse 11. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. There will always be poor people in your land. And in case you, you think it's a lie, you now say they are your fellow Israelites. Now, when we look at prophecies, when Moses says, if you obey the Lord of your God, you will lend to nations. You know, when he's telling the nation of Israel that you will lend to nations, he's telling you that in that same country that they're lending to nations, some people among them will always be poor. Do you understand that? Church, are we together? Moses, the man of God, tells us that among the children of Israel, there will always be poor people. So because poverty is a relative state of affairs, there is no country, there is no way that there will, always, there will not always be poor people. There is nothing. You can never say you want to do a policy that will remove poor people from the world unless Moses did not hear from God. And in case you are Christocentric and you believe that Moses was saying his own, Matthew chapter 20, 26. Matthew chapter 26. Verse 10 says, aware of this, Jesus said to him, why are you bothering, bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with... Are we together? The poor you will always have with, but you will not always have... He was talking to his disciples. He was talking to his disciples. He was not talking to human beings. He was talking to his disciples. You know, one of the issues that I've said before, let me just say one last, one last time, that one of the issues that we have is training, training in Bible study. The, the poor you will always have with you. So Moses and the Lord, as far as weightiness of speech is concerned in scripture, as far as credibility and inspiration of speech is concerned in scripture, Moses, the man of God, the one that saw God's face, that God spoke to as a friend, and the Lord himself, when he came to the earth, tell us something point blank. That there will always be poor people among the Israelites and among the disciples. Do you understand that? One of the reasons for that is that poverty is a relative state. We will never all have the same amount of income. It is not possible. Because different kind of work, if work is what leads to godly profit, 
not all kind of work lead to the same amount of what? Profit. You cannot scale organizer work to get $100 million funding. Organizer is still what? Organizer. Did you hear what I just said now? Not all work is the same. A man who can create a software for 6 billion people to use and to pay, no matter how small the subscription, can never have the same amount of money as a medical doctor who can only see one patient per day. There's nothing else to do. Even if each patient is paying him $1 million, which will never happen. There's no amount. you see 20, 50 patients in one day. You can never have as much money as a man that creates a software that 6 billion people are using. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Do you understand what I'm telling you? We can never all have the same amount of income. It is not possible. And that's just the first layer. We do not all have the same amount of competencies and physical abilities. There will be people that will be physically handicapped. There will be people whose personalities just don't have the drive for chasing money. I hope you know. Four, that is poverty as a relative state. So that's why there will always be poor people. You know, so when people make statements like saying, you know, God wants every Christian to be rich, you begin to put the, the picture in context. You begin to explain. Everything begins to have a different picture now when you begin to understand these words. Poverty is a relative concept. Now there's destitution. First Timothy chapter 6. There's destitution. First Timothy chapter 6. We'll also look at it in Luke chapter 12, but we'll look at that at the end. First Timothy chapter 6. There's the objective... Um, um, situation called destitution. First Timothy 6 from verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So Paul actually gives us a benchmark of material situations that suggests to us something that is unacceptable, that someone cannot be content with. He says having food and what? Clothing. That means the situation where a human being created in God's image does not have food to eat, does not have clothes to wear, does not have where to live, is unacceptable. So Paul now says that having that, that is the minimum that God intends for a human being. So destitution is that objective position where a person does not have food, clothing, and shelter. That's what Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 12 when he says that even sparrows have food to eat, how much more you? Telling you that even at the basal level, destitution of not having food clothing and what to wear that's so for ravens he said food for for lilies he said clothing and what they will wear do you understand that so destitution is the objective position of not having food clothing and this happens in every country there's no situation in humanity yet as i'm aware of where we don't have destitutes there's always destitution hallelujah then there's another term that we see in the old testament and the new testament called well-being good i don't want to use the word prosperity because the word prosperity has is it has too many connotations so i'm going to, i'm going to completely not use that word throughout this there's something called good there's something called well-being in the old testament it's the word taub deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 18. this is the word that he used here he says do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, that it may go well with you. And you may go in and take over the good land 
which the Lord has promised. You're going to see where the word good also comes from in the next scripture we're going to read. You know, in Genesis chapter 26, verse 7, we talk about Rebecca, Isaac's wife. He said that she was beautiful. That's the word taub there. So that word good means when something goes well. When, is, when the Bible says, when God tells the Israelites that do what is right and good in the eyes of God. In the Greek, in 3 John chapter 2, I have to rush now because I still have something to say. In 3 John verse 2, Apostle John says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. When he says that you may um, enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, that go well with you is the word saou. Um, it's the Greek analogous word which is you do, which is go well with you, when all is well with you. That is well-being. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Verse 2. He says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. That in keeping with your income is according to how you prosper. It is according to how it prosper or according to how well it is, how it is well with you. That's the same word you do. Saving it's up so that when I come, no collections will, will, have, will have to be made. So Paul was telling people, give according to how it is well with you. Give according to how the God has prospered you, how you have prospered. Give according to your income. So Paul is telling us here that that word you do, that word that John used to be well with you, the analogous word of when it is well with you, when it is good with you, when you prosper, that word, Paul is saying according to prosper. So that means that in different values, levels of income, that word applies to all of them. Do you understand what is happening here? George, do you understand what happened now? He says, irrespective of the amount of income, you can be considered what? Prosperous. You can be considered to have well-being. You can be considered to be what? Good. That is another word that we see in scripture that from the Old Testament to the New Testament they keep describing. It's the word that is in John chapter 1 verse 8 when it says that if you study God's word and, and apply yourself to it, you will make your way prosperous. That is the word. And that Paul is explaining to us there that irrespective of your level of income, that word prosperity can still apply. So those that earn low, according to how the Lord has prospered you. Those that earn much, according to how the Lord has what, prospered you. The same word, prosperity. Now let's go to our... Anchor scripture, Job chapter 22. Job chapter 22. I'm going to end here. We'll continue next. We'll continue. Job chapter 22. I want us to read it in the KJV first. Look at from verse 21. In the KJV first. I'll read it from the KJV. It says, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth and lay up his words in thine heart if thou return to the almighty thou shalt be built up thou shalt put away iniquity from your tabernacles and then thou shalt lay up gold as dust and the god of Ophi as the stones of the brook yea the almighty shall be thy defense and thou shalt have plenty of words silver for then thou shalt have thy delight in the almighty and shall lift up thy face unto god and the lord shall answer your prayer and all that you know, emphasis on verse 24. It says, if you come back to God, you will lay up gold as dust and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. And I remember growing up, this scripture, I used it myself to confess a lot. In my secondary school, I confessed this scripture a lot. I said, I will serve God, I will return to God, I will, take, I will stop all my sins and God will make me to have plenty of money and I will lay up gold as dust. Do you guys remember that teaching on, is KJV the best? See what I warned you guys about. I warned you people. You know, when the KJV was written, they did not have 
the amount of manuscripts that we have. They did not have the amount of technology that we have. And there were issues. And now some people can say, ah, how can God allow them to have a translation that can mislead people? Guess what? If someone was honestly and faithfully reading the book of Job, this statement is not enough to mislead them. Do you know why? In Job chapter 42, the person speaking here, if you scroll back up, you will see, if you go to the beginning of chapter 2, you will see that it's Eliphaz the Temanite that is speaking. Do you see that? But if you go to Job chapter 42, look at verse 7. Job chapter 42 verse 7. He said, after the, after the Lord has said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the who? Are you guys there? Uh, he said to Eliphaz the who? I am angry with you and with your two friends because you have not spoken the words as my servant Job has what? So that means that, you know, I'm telling you that the, the real problem is not that these people are bad, it's that they do not read their Bibles. That means that even if the KJV did not give us an accurate translation of what that scripture actually says. You will see the accurate translation now in NIV. Even though the KJV did not give us the accurate translation of it, God in his wisdom had already given us no good reason to look at that scripture and say that it is a reason why we should lay up gold as dust. It means that Christians are meant to have plenty of gold like dust. That means the way dust is full on the ground. That's the way Christians are meant to gather money. That's what it was used to teach. Even if we agree that KJV did not give us a good translation. If you were reading your Bible, you would have gotten to this part where God said, what you said is not true. So, even if Eliphaz was correct, let's read the accurate translation in the NIV. Job chapter 22 in the NIV. From verse 21. Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way prosperity will come to you. That word prosperity is the word taub that I was talking about. I just told you about the word well-being. Taube or something. You understand that? It's not my language. You understand? So it's T-O-W-B-E. That's the way they spelled it. So you just know. In this way prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the almighty you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the what? Dust. The word, that's gold of offering. So in those days when you're mining gold, you see it inside pebbles of rocks. So those rocks were called nuggets. So what is said in KJV that he said you shall put together gold as dust? This is actually the correct thing. Look what he says. He says, and assign your nuggets to the dust and your gold of offering to the rooks of the, of the ravines. Then the Almighty will be your gold and the choicest silver to you. So he was telling him that if you throw away your gold, throw your gold into the ravines and let God become your gold. And let God become your what? Silver. Do you understand what's happening here? That is when you will pray to him, verse 27, and he will hear you and, will, and you will fulfill your vows. What you decide on will be done and the light will shine on your ways. Laying up gold as dust is actually lay your gold as dust. That's what it means. He says, let God be your gold. Let God be your silver. When you do that, you will now have well-being. You will now prosper. You will now have tawub. When you pray, God will now hear you. 
and he was accusing Job of unrighteousness of which God told him you are wrong so he was never even saying what we thought he was saying what he thought us that he was saying let me just quickly say this as I close we're going to continue next week Sunday so but there are still legitimate questions there are still legitimate issues we're going to look at Luke chapter 12 next week and you know, the Bible t- and the Lord tells us that we should um, sell all our properties for the sake of the kingdom seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness and all that there are still legitimate questions and the questions are if, God is, if Jesus tells us to sell our properties for the sake of the kingdom she means the property that you have that you can sell do you understand that? so are we justified to chase these properties for the sake of the kingdom? are we justified to chase this property so that we can help all these things? When the Lord says, come back to me and prosperity will come to you, that well-being, what is the well-being? Do you understand? And we need to understand all those things properly. And so we're going to look at what the purpose of God is for humanity. We're going to go back to the basics. We're going to look at what the purpose of God is for humanity. So that when we build fully and we truly understand what the purpose of God for humanity is, when we talk about well-being, we'll know what we're talking about. When we're talking about poverty, we'll know what we're talking about. When we're talking about destitution, we'll know what we're talking about. When we're talking about riches, we'll know what we are talking about. Church, are we together? Let's bow down our heads and let's pray. Stop your hands and let's pray together. Stop your hands and let's pray together. I want to pray for you this morning by the power of God. That it will be well with you in the name of Jesus. I pray for you as as, as is the will of the Lord as is the will of the apostles for the church as the Lord revealed through his prophets and his holy apostles I pray for you in the name of Jesus that it will be well with you it will be well with all your things the kind of well-being that only God can supply the one that surpasses the things of this world that kind of well-being will be your experience in the name of Jesus I pray for you by the power of God that the Holy Spirit will hold your heart and stabilize your heart so that you are not tossed by the things of this world. I pray for you that the worship of the things of this world, the attachment of the things of this world, the pressure of the things of this world from social media, from all those places, things that are designed to put you in a constant state state of flux as if there's a constant storm that makes you to never be satisfied that keeps stealing your joy that state of affairs that keeps putting pressure on your mind so that you never feel satisfaction so that you never see the peace of god so that you keep worrying and worrying and worrying about things that don't satisfy i pray that the holy spirit will help you and stabilize your heart those things will not have an effect on your heart anymore in the name of jesus the Holy Spirit will do a work in your heart that when you go on social media you will not feel any sense of competition again you will not feel any sense of inferiority again you will not feel any sense of inadequacy again the Lord will be your gold the Lord will be your silver the Lord will satisfy you with good things the Lord will satisfy you with good things the Lord will give you a taste in your mouth that other things will be, will be bad compared to it. In the name of Jesus. I pray for you from the bottom of my heart that the Lord will lift you up and hold you up. And you will no longer be tossed about by the things of this world. In the name of Jesus. Your needs are met. He will provide all your needs according to his riches in glory. 
he will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory at every point in time and in every way you will never lack good things at every point in time and in every way you will never lack good things but you will always have more than enough to do the will of god you will always have more than enough to do the purpose of god for your life in the name of jesus father we give you thanks please can we just give you thanks Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.